most of the successful organizations in the world revisit their organizational vision statement about every 90 days because vision leaks. A business or a church can have a highly motivating, effective, even catchy vision. But uh, over time, other concerns and other issues arise, and the, uh, the excitement about the adventure diminishes. It just happens. Because vision leaks. Vision seeps out. Inspiration wanes. Even the best organizations and the best churches leak vision. So what is our vision <laughs> at the gathering? Do we have a vision? What are we here for? What are we doing? What does God want us to concentrate on? Well, you know, a lot of people have absolutely no idea why they're here on planet Earth. They have no sense of purpose, no sense of direction, no plan. They have no idea what they're doing. They just kind of follow the, the, the crowd like lemmings over the cliff. And honestly, some, the same could probably be said of some churches. They just really don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And yet, I think the Bible is, is very clear. I think the Bible is crystal clear. The ultimate goal of our lives as Christians and the ultimate goal of the local church is to bring glory to God. Psalm 86.9 says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall, what? Glorify your name. So, so the purpose of the nations? To glorify God. That's why he set them in place. To extol him and to exalt him and to praise him. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Of course, he's speaking to Christians here. Whom you have from God. You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So... Glorify God in your body. Glorify God. So it's on, a, it's on a corporate level, a national level. The nations are supposed to bring glory to God. And it's also on an individual level for believers to glorify God in their bodies. Well, Jesus redeemed us so that we could glorify God. He saved us so that we could make His name and His fame known among the nations. That's why we're here. That is our purpose. And that's why the vision statement of the gathering church in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, North America, reads like this. The gathering exists to bring glory to God through lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We, when we treasure Jesus more than we treasure anything else on the planet, we glorify God. When our lives are changed by the power of the gospel, little by little, step by step, day by day, God is glorified. 
when we find our ultimate satisfaction in Jesus and through Jesus and because of Jesus, God gets the glory and it makes him happy. But I suppose the question is still, how? Because we're, we're practical beings, and when we talk about an ethereal concept, an idea like glorifying God, what does that really mean? How do we actually practically do that in our daily lives? How can we bring glory to God? Well, the answer is found in Scripture. First of all, we bring glory to God by worshiping Him. Jesus told us that God the Father actually seeks people to worship him in spirit and truth. Blows my puny little mind when I think of that. God is looking for people who will worship him. John 4, 23. Jesus said the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So it's, it's emotional and it's content-driven. It's spirit, in my emotions, my, my spirit. It's in truth, based on the truth of God's word. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. <laughs> he, he, he pursues people. He, he searches for people who will devote themselves to worship. Gospel-centered worship changes people. Gospel-centered worship transforms people. And Jesus is glorified when we worship Him. Those who worship Jesus in spirit and truth are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks, according to John 4.23. He, he tracks them down. He, he shadows them. He, he pursues them. It's like the hound of heaven looking for those who will worship Him. Because He loves to receive our praise and our worship. He feeds on that. C.S. Lewis once wrote, we only learn to behave in the presence of God. We only learn to behave ourselves in the presence of God. I was thinking in my warped way of thinking this morning, you know, as young parents, from time to time, you might say to your kids, you better behave yourself. We're going to grandma's house and I want you to behave yourself. We're going out in public for the first time in two years and you better behave yourself. <laughs> Listen, uh, young parents, old parents, grandparents, you want your kids, your grandkids to behave themselves? Maybe you ought to get them into the presence of God a little more. Maybe you ought to expose them a little more to the presence of God in your home, in your life. Be a worshiper of God yourself and teach them to behave in the presence of God. Maybe, I don't know. Is that too much of a stretch? If it is, you can check it out. And, but I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a worthy idea. If C.S. Lewis is right, we only learn to behave ourselves in the presence of God. We better get in the presence of God and stay in the presence of God a little longer. Get our kids in the presence of God and, Pray and read the Bible at home with them and pray over them before they go to sleep and read the scripture to them. Get them in the presence of God so they learn how to behave and be changed by the gospel. And you know, in the early days of the gathering, everyone sang when we worshipped. Remember? Some of you were there in the early days. 
either in our home or in the first or second or third place that we met at Roseland. And in those early days, everybody worshipped. Even when we didn't have any instrumentation, we used Mr. iTunes as our guest musician. You know, we brought him in from time to time. And, and, uh, but we, we, we sang, we worshipped. It was very simple worship, and that continues to this day. But everybody worshipped without a thought or a concern or a worry about what they looked like or what they sounded like. The first one I can handle a little better than the second, but, you know, we didn't care. I still don't care what we look like or what we sound like when we worship. But back in those early days, everybody participated. Paul Tripp says that corporate worship is designed to move the meditation of your heart from self-centered complaint to God-glorifying praise. You like that? I love that. So it's not about us. It's not about what I look like or what I sound like, thanks be to God, because I can never sing on key and tune or whatever you call that, you musicians. I just sing. Why well, kind of create some space around me so that nobody can hear me all that well. But I honestly don't care because I'm not singing for you or to you. I'm singing for him and to him, and we all are. That's gospel-centered worship. We have a vision for that, a vision that brings glory to Jesus, and everybody can participate in that. Everybody can join in corporate worship that is centered on him. It's not a performance because it's not a performance never will be at the gathering. So because vision leaks, I'm just here reminding you this morning that we need to worship. Our vision is to bring glory to God through gospel-centered worship, publicly and privately, at church and at home. Practically speaking, we also bring glory to God by loving other believers. And this comes right from the lips of Jesus in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So when you were born again by believing in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith, you were placed into a, a new family. You, were, you became part of God's family. And becoming part of God's family is not just a matter of believing. It's also a, a matter of behaving. You, you, you have to live differently than you did before you, you were born again. Now you're part of God's family. And God's expectation for us as brothers and sisters is that we love one another. To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, that's another story. But, but it's still something that God has standardized for us. Love one another just as I have loved you. Whew. The world needs to see Christians burning 
burning, not just, not just with a self-righteous fury at the sliding morals of our country, but burning with a passion for God and a fervent love for other believers. That's what the world needs to see. If they only see us when we're upset about this or that or the other thing and we're on TV because we're protesting whatever, and they don't see our passionate love for God and they don't see our love for one another, they're not going to be attracted. Are they? I read a newspaper article recently about a bus driver named Linda Wilson. Linda loved her job. She loved driving the city bus. And she loved the people that rode on her bus. Uh, She learned their names, many of them. When some of them were late, once she got to know the the passengers. If someone was late, she'd kind of sit there for a couple minutes waiting for them, and then she'd make up the time later on her route. A woman in her 80s named Ivy had some heavy grocery bags uh, one day uh, waiting for, for the bus, and Linda rolled up on her bus, and she got out of her bus driver's seat and went out and, and helped Ivy with her grocery bags, got her situated on the bus, and then jumped in her seat and took off again. Now, Ivy lets all the other buses go by until Linda comes. She'll only ride on Linda's bus. Linda saw a woman named Tanya waiting at the bus stop one day and had never seen her before, just assumed that she was brand new to the city. She looked rather lost. It was close to Thanksgiving. So Linda said, look, you're new in the city Uh, You don't know anybody. It's almost Thanksgiving. Why don't you come over to my place and kick it with me and the kids on Thanksgiving? Tanya and Linda are now best friends. Linda has built such a dynamic little community of of people uh, on that bus that the passengers now often try to find ways that they can bless Linda. And uh, some of them offer to let her use their cottage in the summertime. They bring her potted plants and flowers. When people found out that she likes to wear scarves to accessorize her, her uniform, some of them started buying, buying her, her uh, scarves, uh, just, uh, just not waiting for her birthday or, or Christmas, just bringing them to her. I mean, they loved her, and she loved them. You don't find that very often nowadays, do you? Folks, can, can you just imagine for a minute what it would be like for 200 people at the gathering to, to really love one another like that? Can you imagine what would happen if just 200 people, or maybe even half of us, 100 people just said, I am going to love till it hurts. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. I'm just going to love people, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in it. I'm going to put myself out. I'm going to... Uh, you know, people might think I'm crazy, but I'm going to do it. Can you imagine what would happen? Woo-hoo! We'd rock, we'd rock the city. I mean, I think we've got a good start. I, I really do. Meals and prayer teams and all kinds of stuff that's happening. I usually hear about it after now, uh, after it happens, but it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Ed Owens' father died very recently. But Ed and his family were just overwhelmed with the people that reached out calling and 
offering help. And am I right, Ed? So can you imagine if we were able to multiply that kind of thing 200 times, 200 times a week, 200 times a month? I mean, I'd be happy with 200 times a year. Let's just multiply it. Why? Because we bring glory to God when we love one another. He gets the glory. You know, see anybody saying, hey, you know, the gathering loves people. The gathering ministered to Ed and Debbie Owens and their family. No, we just say, thanks be to God. God gets the glory. We bring glory to God by loving other believers. Next, we can bring glory to God by becoming like Christ. And here I'm talking about this 50-cent word, sanctification. What is sanctification? In the spiritual sense, sanctification simply means to be set apart for God or to be made holy through conforming to the Son, Jesus Christ. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. So there's a a process of change that takes place. The concept is not one of sin being totally eradicated. That's to claim too much. Or nor is it, is it merely counteracted, because that's to speak too little. That's to say too little about sanctification. God, rather, God's grace forms a character change that frees us from sinful habits and forms in us Christ-like virtues and affections. And that happens. Once we're born again, then God's Spirit begins to move us and shape us and make us just a little bit more like Jesus every day. Spiritual maturity is becoming more like Jesus in the way we act, in the way we feel, in the way we think, in the way we speak, the way we live. And the more we develop Christ-like character, the more we develop Christ-like affections, the more we bring glory to God. And that's why the Bible says in a verse like Philippians 1.11, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, those good things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ, For this will bring, there it is again, much glory and much praise to God. So that's what we're here for. Allowing God to work in our lives that produces fruit for which He gets the praise and He gets the glory. What's more, point number four, we bring glory to God by serving others with our God-given resources. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Each of us was uniquely designed by God and gifted by God. We we all have a, a set of natural abilities and talents and skills, but we also, as believers, have been given a spiritual gift by God. Know what yours is? Have you discovered what your spiritual gift or gifts might be? 
God gave you those special abilities so that you could serve Him and serve others. That's why we're here. Talk about a plan, talk about a purpose. That's why we're here. Let's have a quick look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It'll be on the screen, but you're welcome to look at it in your version. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. And I'm using the New Living Translation just for these verses because they really nail it. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what's being said. It's the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person, each person should have. And so, people, let's use our talents to serve Jesus Christ and to serve others. Because the Scripture is clear. Verse 11 makes it very clear that each person who is a believer in Jesus has at least one spiritual gift. So what is it? What's your gift? How are you using it? And, and, and use it, you, you, you must use it. <laughs> use it or lose it. I'm not sure if that applies to spiritual gifts, but it's, it's fun to say anyway. Use it or lose it. But uh, I do want to encourage you to resist that temptation to take your foot off the gas. We're not even two years into this adventure called the gathering. But already, some of us have become a little comfortable, right? We don't have to set up at Roseland anymore. We come in, everything's clean, everything's set up. The chairs are nice, the stage is nice, the music is nice, the lights are nice, the video is nice, everything's nice, right? So the temptation is to kind of just, okay, everything's going good, they don't need me. Oh, yes, we do. We still need you. Already some of us have slipped into kind of a comfortable and predictable lull. Some of us have become complacent. The sense of urgency has declined. So let's put our spiritual gifts into action. Let's put our gifts and our talents and our skills and our abilities into action. And let's make a difference in in more people's lives like Ed and Debbie and and so many others, That some who, who prayed for us this morning. Let's use our natural talents and our abilities to make Jesus more famous in Windsor-Essex. Let's bring our financial resources to bear because what we, can, what we can do together, we could never do each one of us individually, but together we can make a difference and make, a, make an impact and grow and develop the kingdom of God because we bring glory to God when we do that. We glorify God by serving others with our God-given resources. And last but not least, we bring glory to God by telling other people about Him. I mean, once we know the truth, the truth has set us free. Why would we not want to tell other people about that? (laughs) 
John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you're here this morning and you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, I hope that you'll do that very soon, if not today. Because this is life-changing. It's life-changing. God wants the whole world to know His Son so that they can have eternal life, but also so that they can live an abundant life that is full of meaning and purpose now, this side of heaven. And as more and more people come to know Jesus, He receives more and more glory. And that's what we're here for. A, a treasure hunter who is, was accused of defrauding his investors out of their share of one of the richest halls in history, over $50 million in gold bars and gold coins, was captured at an upscale Florida hotel after being on the run for over two years. Authorities called Tommy Thompson one of the most intelligent criminals ever sought by police. Apparently, this guy, who's 62 years old, made history when he discovered this sunken vessel known as the gold ship. Apparently, the the steamer went down in a hurricane off the coast of uh, South Carolina in 1867 and had tons of gold from the California gold rush on, on it. Thompson managed to bring up a good chunk of that, of that gold stash uh, from its watery grave on the bottom of the ocean. The 161 investors who paid Thompson $12.7 million to help him with the recovery never saw a penny of their investments. He cashed it in and kept all of the money for himself. Folks, we have discovered the greatest treasure of all time in Jesus Christ. How dare we keep it to ourselves? Right? We need to share the treasure with other people. We need to tell other people. And I just want to remind you this morning that vision leaks. And so I'm just kind of gently reminding you that this is part of our vision. Part of our vision is that we tell other people the good news about Jesus. Jesus himself said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And by the way, I'll be right beside you till the end of the age. You're not by yourself in this endeavor. I'm going to be right there with you to make it happen. So once you make peace with God and your heart is filled with joy, that life just spills over, doesn't it? It just, it just spills over into the lives of other people. It's just, it's kind of a natural consequence of being in love with Jesus. I mean, you know that Jesus is in love with you, right? If you're in love with Jesus, this will just be the natural overflow of a filled-up heart. And you'll want to do that. 
He's given us everything we need to live a godly life and bring Him glory. So let's do it. Here am I, Lord. Send me. We're asking you this morning as your children that you would refresh our vision here at the gathering so that we are indeed bringing more and more glory to the Lord Jesus Christ in all that we do and all that we say and how we live out our lives on a day-to-day basis. Whatever you have in store for us, Lord, bring it. We're ready. And your servants are listening. Amen.